Ladies and gentlemen, this is the 411 from 406. My name is Chewie, and I am joined once again by my brother from another mother, Mr. Pip. How are you, sir? Man, I'm fantastic. I'm so psyched. I'm so excited to be here to conclude the trilogy of podcasts that we're doing here to discuss this next Halloween movie. Spoiler alert, I guess I jumped right into it. That's what we're talking about tonight. Our deep dive on Halloween ends. Halloween ends. Yeah, this is uh, so let's see, just for kind of pull, pulling back the curtain as we as we are speaking, it is Thursday evening, October 27th. So Halloween is literally right around the corner. It's been a while since we've chatted. And I know we had this one kind of circled on the calendar for quite some time for a variety of reasons, right? I mean, we, we did a deep dive into Halloween Kills, which was episode 58, if you want to go back and listen to it in the archives. And I think we talked probably for about two hours, not quite, maybe an hour and 40 minutes or so about Halloween Kills. So I'm not sure how long we're going to go tonight, but I am really looking forward to this conversation because both you and I really enjoyed the first two films in this trilogy. Yes. I went back and I listened to that conversation kind of in prep for this. Oh, nice. And, Me too. And um, and it was it was really interesting not only the way we kind of were coming out of that podcast and, and looking forward to this movie, but, uh, but it, it was, it was interesting in kind of listening to some of our comments to see kind of what played out and, and what didn't and, and those kind of things. So I'm, I'm really excited to have this conversation with you tonight. Yeah, I totally agree. So I re-listened to our deep dive of Halloween kills just to kind of figure out where we were, where our mindset was at that time. And obviously you remember, and for any of those who might have listened, they remember as well. We both came away with really favorable impressions of that movie, which is interesting because a lot of people didn't. It was a pretty polarizing movie. A lot of uh, a lot of fans of the franchise didn't really appreciate the changes thematically where they where they ended up going with this. And I think you and I praised that movie for doing just that. And and that's mm-hmm. what I found was very interesting. And. For a half second, as I was listening to it, I'm like, you know what, maybe we should rename this podcast OFJ, One Fucking Job, because I feel like every movie has at least one fucking job because we did a lot of comparisons to Star Wars, interestingly enough, because this has nothing to do with Star Wars, but this is a new trilogy. Star Wars recently had a newer trilogy, but you you kind of did the comparison to actually Revenge of the Sith and the Darth Vader turn and how that was the one job they had to do right. And this one in Halloween Kills, as we were talking about this, we were talking about, you know, what we wanted to see coming from this one. So it'll be interesting based off of some of those conversations. Did any of our predictions come true? And if not, were we still satisfied with the overall product? It was interesting. I paid special attention to maybe the last 20 minutes or so of that podcast where we were talking about kind of what we were looking forward to what we were hoping this film would do, maybe what we were hoping it wouldn't do and those kind of things. So, yeah. And part of the reason too, that I'm really excited to talk to you is we really haven't chatted a whole lot since we've watched this movie. Uh, We traded a couple texts 
but that's about it. Like we have, so, so when you're hearing this conversation, um, it's gonna, it's gonna be the, the first for us too. We have not had this conversation prior to hitting record on the podcast. Tonight. Yeah. That's what I'm the most excited about because I think it's safe to say that when we were talking on the phone, we were, we were both really still trying to figure out how we felt about this movie and some of the choices that it makes, because much like the last movie, I guess we could go ahead and, you know, kind of start approaching it, but this movie is also very different. It doesn't follow a lot of the common tropes. It takes the focus off the story. I think we were all expecting and puts it in a very different place. And this movie I think is going to be potentially even more polarizing than Halloween kills. I think this is going to, and, and this has the unfortunate duty of having to wrap up the entire trilogy, right? So if it doesn't do it successfully, if it doesn't do it perfectly, then fans are really going to push back and say, now nah, this is not what I wanted. This was all a waste of time. So I, I guess we'll, we'll, we'll kind of dive right into this. And, and I've done some prep work. You know, I, did, I took some notes. I went through, I got a couple questions that I want to touch on during this conversation. And, and I'll, then I'll kind of let you lead us, lead us through the plot as you so skillfully do. So this was once again, directed by David Gordon Green. It was produced by Malika Aka, Jason Bloom, and Bill Block. It stars Jamie Lee Curtis, Andy Matachik, Rohan Campbell, Will Patton, Kyle Richards, James Jude Courtney as the one and only Michael Myers. Uh, music by the one and only John Carpenter and Cody Carpenter. It was re released officially on October 14th, 2022, had a budget of $33 million, which is the highest of the three of this particular trilogy. Halloween 2018 was 15 million. Halloween Kills was 20 million. Had a box office so far. And again, we're very, you know, probably not quite to the end of its theatrical run, $85.1 million, which is actually the lowest of the three, pretty much by far. Uh, yeah. Halloween. 255 million and Halloween kills 131 million. Now I, the caveat to that is this was released not only in theaters, but was also released same day on the Peacock network. The same could be said though for Halloween kills as well. So uh, Halloween, uh, you know, which was pre COVID was obviously just, just in the, uh, the movie theaters. So, you know, it's, it's too early for any sort of, you know, golden raspberry awards or anything like that. I will say a lot of the talk that I've seen online has been really negative. And I, I would say probably the majority of what I have seen has been pretty negative. There's been some positives in there as well. And I think you're right. I think it's because this is a very different Halloween movie. And I think it's fair to say now that it's done, this was a very different Halloween trilogy. And I think it was from the beginning. And I think you had to get to part three to really understand that and obviously we'll you know we'll kind of get into it so one question kind of or a couple questions before we start and i know some of the answers to these questions because i just listened to our podcast but how excited were you <laughs> after halloween kills heading into halloween ends do you remember yeah i was really fired up i was really jazzed because i was staring down the barrel of having what i thought was a very worthy trilogy you know, we, we've talked a little bit on this show, I think probably more than a little bit about the challenges of trying to create additional movies of properties that are so old at this point, whether it's the sequels to Star Wars or Indiana Jones, we've talked about Ghostbusters. It's really hard to do that effectively by 
honoring the past as well as trying to create a future around that. And this series, I think I had hopes after the second one that it was doing a better job than any of the other properties, including Star Wars, which is obviously near and dear to our hearts. I think Star Wars, I don't want to get too far into Star Wars, but you know, we, we've talked about that in other episodes and overall I'm, I'm fine with it. I, I can live with what we got. It certainly wasn't exactly how I would have envisioned it, but that's fine. This one though, after the first two movies, it really had me excited. I was hoping to walk away saying, damn, this is one of the greatest trilogies ever because all they had to do was stick the landing and, and we're going to get there as to whether or not they did. But I was, I was very excited. Long story short. I, I think that this was one that I was looking forward to seeing, not just in the theaters, but in on Peacock as well. And uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of where I was. Yeah. I'm, I was, I was in a very similar boat. I loved, absolutely loved the 2018 film. I thought it was a, a really, really great way to do a requel right? Where, you know, we, they essentially, if you, if you recall, they essentially ignored everything other than the 1978 film. So that was a direct sequel to that one. And, and Halloween kills, I was, I was kind of right there with you. I was much higher on that film than I think a lot of people were. That one was pretty polarizing. I think this one is even more so, but I really enjoyed that film with the exception of the part of the things that I've, that I really enjoyed about the 20. 18 film was it was based in reality michael myers was a human being he wasn't supernatural he wasn't a zombie he wasn't you know he took punishment right but he wasn't you know he wasn't zombie jason or, or those kind of things right and towards the end of that second film you know they they, they kind of veered away of, from that a little bit and so i wasn't quite sure what they were going to do here and I'm even as isn't even as I'm going into this, I'm still not sure if I'm if I'm satisfied with with kind of how they towed that line here, but but we'll certainly get into it. But I do think it it was fair to say that I was pumped to see this movie. Yeah. Um, well, I was I was really excited. And you and you brought it up, and I think this is something that we're gonna have to touch on because I agree with you after watching 2018 and of course the original back in 1978, we were both kind of working under the impression that. David Gordon Green and his writers were writing Michael as a human being, nothing paranormal, nothing supernatural, none of that. And then by the end of Halloween Kills, I think you and I were both like, oh, it seems like they're going a different direction with that. Because, I mean, let's let's take a quick step back and do some simple math here. Jamie Lee Curtis, her character, Laurie Strode, was probably what, let's say 17 in the original movie? Something like that. Yeah, she was a yeah, she was a babysitter. So I mean, on the low end, she might have been 14, 15 on the high end. Yeah, probably 17, 18. So yeah. I'm gonna go 17 just for the sake of having a number pinned to it. Yeah. So not 2018, that movie came out exactly 40 years later. So she was 57 at that point. And right. we know that Michael Myers was older than her. I don't know if we ever dated him specifically in this new chronology or in this new canon, but Michael, let's just say for, I don't know, 65, maybe. Sure. At the end of Halloween Kills, Michael Myers takes a beating that I don't think a 20-year-old could survive. Correct. And not only does he survive it, he gets up and he beats the shit out of everybody who beat him. So I think it's well within everybody's estimation to walk away from that saying, okay, Michael Myers is not human. You just can't do that. You have to suspend too much disbelief. It doesn't work. 
He has to be something bigger. And I think what we're going to find in this movie is that they backtrack a little bit because he's very clearly human. He's very clearly aged and he's hurt through most of this mm-hmm. movie, which is a really weird, again, we'll get there as we kind of talk through it, but it's, it's a really interesting take on that character who was basically invincible up until this point yeah. or so it seemed. And there's one scene in particular in this film where he's Michael is kind of regenerated and, and, re, and reinvigorated um, based on some, some activities that he's partaking in. And so I think that's, I think that's part of the story that they're, that they're looking to tell and it, and it revolves around evil and it revolves around the shape and it revolves around those kind of things. Why don't we just kind of dive right in? I've got a couple other questions that we that we're going to get to, but I think they are better suited for in the middle of the podcast or after we're done with the review. All right. Well, we start on a Halloween night in 2019, which is exactly one year after the events of Halloween Kills, when we meet the new character, Corey Cunningham, who we're going to spend a lot of time with over the next two hours. Corey is a babysitter who gets called to this house to do sort of a last second babysitting opportunity and the parents leave and it's him and this little kid named Jeremy and the night turns very dark when little Jeremy is playing hide and seek with Corey and he locks Corey in an upstairs room and in a panic Corey kicks down the door after freaking out which basically knocks Jeremy down multiple flights of stairs where he dies right in front of his parents who were just returned home. Now, I'd say right off the bat, that that was a very, very quick synopsis. This scene probably lasts, what, maybe 10 or 15 minutes. Yeah, probably. Yeah. But but this is where we get the introduction to this new character named Corey. And I have to say, maybe this is controversial. This might be my favorite scene of the entire movie. I think it's a really, really strong beginning. It definitely sets the stage that they're doing something different. Like, we don't know where it's going. We don't know how it's going to end up. But we, we focus on a non-Michael Myers canonical storyline to this point. And I think the scene is really jarring and it's really powerful. And I'm, I'm really excited about what I'm seeing so far. Yeah, it's an, it's an amazing scene. It's an awesome way to open this film. You know, Michael is absent from it, which is something that we're going to be continuing to say throughout this film, unfortunately, in my opinion. But yeah, I mean, th- this is a intense creepy spooky it's a it's a great horror scene right i mean it's it's right up there in you know what i'll go so far as to say it's right up there like with the opening to scream it it is it's just a it's an intense scene it's and especially when jeremy dies the way he does it's it's brutal and this and and yeah it's it's really really well done it was a great start to this film it's really interesting how they filmed it because the whole time it's, it, it feels okay, but you know that something's not right. Like yeah. something feels off the entire time. And I suppose the first viewing you're sort of expecting Michael to come pop out of the corner and do something. And that never happens. But at the same time, like we get to meet this new character of Corey and he seems like this really wholesome kid. He's studying for, uh, for, you know, to get into college and he's got this bright future ahead of him and he gets a chance to go get a drink out of the refrigerator and he chooses chocolate milk instead of beer. You know, I mean, he's, he's, he's very much a little bit more milk toasty in this opening scene. 
And of course, that's going to change a lot throughout the course of the movie. But I, I just thought it set a fantastic tone. And from that point, I'm I'm really excited to see where this is going to go. I really think what is really kind of cool about what this does, and you probably don't even realize it until later in the film, but what it does is it very effectively shows you how something really, really bad can happen to arguably a really wholesome person and turn them really, really bad very quickly through no fault of their own. You know what I mean? Like I genuinely sure. don't think at the beginning of this film that Corey was a evil character or a no. bad character, just like circumstances happen to him. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that this movie is going to go into a lot of themes around cancel culture and how this town sort of turns on him after this, you know, this tragedy happens because his, his character uh, gets tried. This is all off camera exposition, but his, you know, he doesn't go to jail for it, but you know, the whole town knows who he is and they, they make fun of him behind his back and they, he gets bullied and he gets judged by all the parents and things like that. And so it's, it's going to be an interesting, it's going to be an interesting perspective on, on Corey's experience and how that, how that has affected him. But we skip four years later. So we do this time jump, which we knew this was going to happen. We actually talked about this in the Halloween Kills podcast. We had just found out. It had just been announced in the press that the next movie was going to take place in four years. And, and I guess maybe before I continue, I'm interested if you've heard or if you know or what your opinion is, this movie, it's interesting. It's an interesting choice to to do a time jump here, I think, to go ahead four years. I wonder if that was intentional. I wonder if from the beginning they had planned on doing that or if this was sort of a byproduct of the pandemic because we know this film got delayed in terms of the, the actual production and the filming and everything. But does it, does it make more sense that maybe they would have filmed the trilogy back to back to back all around the same night? Or do we, do we think it was intentional that they actually meant to space things out to take this breather between these second and third sequels? I don't know. I will tell you that in viewing 2018 and 2021, I thought they did a seamless job of, of putting those two films together. Absolutely. With, you know, from, from the characters to the way it was shot and everything. In doing some research, I know originally, originally, they had said, okay, we're going to do a trilogy but then they decided, no, let's just do one, see how it goes. And then we'll determine, you know, and obviously Halloween, would just kind of went gangbusters. And then I think they said, okay, well, we're, we're going to do two more. So they announced that there was two more. And I think the original plan there was that they were going to shoot them back to back. If that was the case, I think they probably would have done, they wouldn't have done this time jump. But then I think it's, it, that's where the pandemic came in. And so... So I think maybe way back in the day, I don't think they intended maybe the, the, the time jump to come in. But one thing that I will point out at the end of our Halloween Kills podcast, we, we talked about this. You're right. They had just announced it. And in my mind at the time, and I guess I, I still agree with this now, I think the time jump actually makes sense because it gives us time not only for Lori to heal, because if you remember during that film, she was essentially non-existent. She was injured the whole time. Yeah. I was in, in my mind, I was saying, okay, well, it's going to give, it's going to give Allison some time to, to train for lack of a better term. Cause I was under the impression that she was going to be 
the uh, you know the, the heroine of this film, which I suppose she is, but not in the way that I thought she was going to be. It's a really long way of answering questions. So no, I I don't think that it was intended, but I think ultimately I think it probably was the right choice, especially for what they did with Michael. I don't think it would have made a mu- as much sense. You know, Michael at the beginning of this film, when we finally get to him, is essentially kind of old and decrepit and 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 right and i don't know that that would have played as well sure if it was that same night or a year later well it would have been a very different film halloween ends would have been right. very different obviously if that's the approach they would have taken because there would be no Corey cunningham or Corey would have been right. introduced in the first act meaning the 2018 halloween because yeah. there there wouldn't have been any room to bring his character in to to do this really long introduction to him if that had been the third you know this the last two hours of the six hour saga, right. right. That all happened yeah. in, in basically real time. So I just, I thought that was really interesting because I, I remember you saying that in the last podcast and I, I sort of disagree a little bit, but I don't know that I disagree with the idea of a time jump. I might disagree with the results of, of what it felt like when we zip forward four years, because you know, well, I guess, first of all, we get the confirmation that her daughter, which was Judy Greer in the last two movies, she did die at the end of Halloween Kills. We weren't really sure. And, yep. and based off of what we've seen so far, clearly we're going to get another character in this movie that actually did live from the last movie that is quite shocking. And we'll, we'll get yes. there because I, you know, we got to subtract one from the death count of the last movie because yeah. apparently yeah. that lady lived. But anyways, instead of a, a bitter, vengeful Lori who is, you know, trained and ready to execute her stalker, we find her baking cookies and writing a memoir. And for me, this is where the four-year jump really didn't feel natural. Now, there's a lot of people that didn't like what they did with Lori in the first Halloween movie, which, you know, I can understand and I can respect. They didn't, they didn't appreciate her going all Sarah Connor on everything and, and becoming this sort of militant self-defense you know damaged person i thought it made perfect sense and i i really like the perspective of jamie lee or i should say laurie strode instead of creeping into a hole she just she became a badass she trained herself she did all these things i like that perspective but we don't get that anymore you know we didn't get it in the second movie but that's because she was hurt and, and recovering from all that but this movie is very different she has she has gone to therapy. She has rehabilitated herself. And I don't know, like to me, it just, it writing a memoir and narr- Oh, I hate the narration. I hate that choice. I, it didn't work for me at all. It's, it's just too hallmarky for me, but I don't know. Like, how did you feel about that? When you saw that, was it jiving with you or how did you feel? So to take a step back, I, I agree with you 100%. The portrayal of Laurie Strode in the 2018 Halloween, in my opinion, was perfect. That's exactly what that character would have done over 40 years. Go out, become a badass, be ready for the night he comes home again, right? And yeah, and yeah, I, I, that, that, so that was a perfect portrayal to me. I, I guess, here's, here's what I have a problem with. If, if Laurie was under the impression that Michael was gone after Halloween kills gone, dead, buried, never coming back, blah, blah, blah. Then the, the book route and the support group and like the, in like the, the mellowing out, I think makes sense. Yeah. Right. 
I don't think like she wasn't under that impression though after that film, right? I mean, Michael wasn't in custody. Not he only was, was she not under that yeah. impression, he just, just lost murdered her daughter. Her daughter. Yeah. He cold-blooded right. murdered her daughter. And the end of that movie sets it up to be holy shit, here comes round three. Yeah. You know, and that's what we're all expecting. And that's where I think it kind of suffers from this time jump because she was already a badass, so she couldn't get any more than that, right? Like, they couldn't do anything to beef that up. Maybe they could have done what we kind of hypothesized in the last podcast, which is that she trains her granddaughter to to, yeah. to be a tough fighter, too, which obviously didn't happen. But, like, this to me was just like, wait, what? Like, he's still out there, and she's got pumpkins in her house, and... Yeah, she's wholesome in this film. Like, she's... she, Yeah, it's... And, and I guess, you know what... It, Here's here's where it might have made sense. It might have made sense if she was broken, right? Just like like lost her mind, gave up, and just kind of what had capitulated to life, right? Mm-hmm. But that's not really where she is, right? She's st- she's still kind of a strong character, yeah. But, but yeah, yeah. So I guess talking through it, I guess maybe at the time watching it, it didn't really bother me. But talking through it, I agree with you. It's and I don't know if that's so much the time jump. I think it's more just the fact that this isn't the Lori yeah. that we knew. It's how they right? executed the, it. Right. Yeah. It almost yeah. it almost makes sense. And I'd have to think about this to see if it actually does. If they swapped Halloween ends and Halloween 2018, you know, like if we came back in Hollywood in, in 2018 and she was baking cookies and we were introducing this Corey character, then I'd be like, okay, they're they're going a new route. And then by the end of the third movie, she's so pissed about what happens to her daughter that yeah. she becomes militant. They're four years later of, of you know, all this training and, and arms and all this stuff. And, and she goes out there and she becomes a badass. And that's what evokes this big fight scene you know at what? the end. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that would have made more sense. I don't know. But this this feels like it was kind of cobbled together. Well, you're, you're right. Because think about it, right? So she had, she had 40 years in between 78 and 2018. Mm-hmm. And she spent those 40 years becoming Sarah Connor. She had four years in between 2018 and this film and just lost her daughter. And she became Martha fucking Stewart. And she, be, and she, yeah. So that you're right. It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. You're right. I, I don't know. I think th- thematically it just, it took such a 90 degree turn that I had trouble following it, but I'm not, I'm not checked out by any means. I'm just like, wait, what? It took me out of it admittedly, but yeah. So we have this new kid, Corey, he meets up with a couple of high school bullies, I guess we'll call them. He's out of high school, by the way. And these kids are in band, but they're bullying him who threaten him when he refuses them to buy them alcohol. When he's uh, he's bailed out by Lori, basically she, she catches him and, he ends up cutting himself in the process and Lori decides to take him to emergency care where her granddaughter, Allison happens to work. And after a few stitches, she appears to be quite smitten and basically asks him out. And herein sort of comes the, the first big problem for me in this movie is this love story between Corey and Allison. I love the idea of them having this, but it feels very unnatural. And even though we spend the first 45 minutes of this movie with Corey and his courtship with Allison, it still feels rushed and it doesn't really feel earned or very authentic. Did you get that same impression? I mean, like she was just so forward with him in a way that just didn't like, I couldn't understand what she saw in this kid that quickly. The only thing that I can gather is she felt some sort of kinship with him because he was an outcast in Haddonfield 
through no fault of his own, probably the same way she was through no fault of her own. Yeah. Right. They didn't explain that though. Or if they did, it was very, very on the surface, but you're right. Like that might be a reason to, to be friendly with him, but I don't know that it's a, it's a reason to, to fall for him or want to ask him out or anything like that Yeah, or have any sort of like a romantic, you know, I think they made that sort of the obvious conclusion for us to jump to. I think my problem was that I think it was her. I think she was my problem, not the actress, not Andy Matichek. I I thought she did as good as she could have with what she had. But my problem was that that character was in high school when all this stuff was going on originally in 2018. And now she's a a young adult, I guess we'll call her. And she's got a job and she's professional and, and all this stuff. And she seems like she's got her shit together, which seems strange to me. I would have expected more of a I don't, she doesn't seem damaged enough from the experience mm-hmm. that she had. Her boyfriend was killed. Her mother was killed. Like there was a lot of father. shit that, yeah, her father, yeah. thank you, was killed also. So there was a lot of stuff that goes on. And I don't know, I would have expected all of that trauma to manifest in a way differently than just, oh, that kid's damaged. I'm going to, I'm going to try to help him. I'm going to try to make a, him a project or something like that i don't know i just yeah. she didn't say I, I guess so here's a comparison and i'm going to bring up rob zombie a couple times in this podcast because sure. i think there are some comparisons but like i didn't love the second rob zombie movie but i will say there are really good things that were happening in that movie and i really appreciate the metamorphosis of scout taylor compton's character of laurie strode her characterization of laurie strode between the first Halloween movie and the second Halloween movie. Like she is damaged. She is fucked up and broken in that Mm -hmm. second movie. And she sells that. And I don't know that it needed to be that. I mean, obviously Allison's Allison has her grandmother as a support system there and they're all getting help. And maybe that's just what we're supposed to kind of go with. But I just didn't, I didn't buy how clean everything was after all this stuff had happened four years previous. You know, I, I think this I think this is just a, a further extension of what we're feeling about about Laurie's character, right? It just it just doesn't fit for how much trauma they went through. We would have expected those characters to be at a certain place, that it, you know, a certain point of their arc, right? And they just and we're not sure where they should be, but where they are, <laughs> where we are shown them to be, doesn't feel right. Yeah is the is the best way i can describe yeah it's it's not it's not terrible it doesn't it doesn't ruin the movie but it's just not something that i'm i'm not in sync with it just yet because it's not what i you know what it is and yeah you know what it is and and i hate to continue to make to make these star wars references but it's but it's like it's like a grumpy luke skywalker on that island right when we see him we're just kind of like huh like that's not the loop that we know. Yeah. That's not where we yeah. expected it. It's it's that kind of. It's feeling. the opposite of that, but it's the same sort of swing yeah. that yeah. doesn't make sense. Yeah, I agree. Right. So then we go back to Corey's home, get a sense for his home life, and we meet his mom, who's just this nagging malcontent. And this is this is the actual first time that I got some serious Rob Zombie vibes because she just seems like this really terrible human being. And it's very evocative to a lot of the characters I think we meet in Rob Zombie's Halloween universe. And then Lori reconnects with Frank from the last movie at the grocery store. We spent a lot of time with Frank and talking about Frank and Halloween Kills. He doesn't make much of an impact of any kind in this movie at all. But 
I, I guess I kind of see what they're doing. They're trying to set up the eventual happy ending for Laurie Strode. And, you know, we get this love connection vibe that was teased in Halloween Kills, you know, when they laid, each, laid next to each other in the hospital bed. And I, I don't know, for, for my money, I'm not loving this scene. I think the dialogue is clunky. I, it doesn't, it just, maybe it's just too much more of what I didn't expect to see from the beginning. I will say though, before you comment on that, if you listen carefully in the background, there is a Muzak version of Don't Fear the Reaper playing in the grocery store, which is, uh, which is a really nice touch. I actually did notice that. So I, I think I said in our last podcast that if they're trying to make us care about Hawkins, there's just not enough screen time available for me to give a fuck about Hawkins. Right. Right. I'm glad that they didn't make me care, make me try to care about that character outside of you're right outside of this kind of love connection that he has with Lori. But this one too, it just feels kind of weird, right? They bump into each, they bump into each other in the, at the supermarket and he's buying meat and they, they almost play it off as if they haven't seen each other in four years, which, which would kind of shock me seeing as it's like this small town. And right. I, I don't know. I don't know why it was weird. I mean, it wasn't like, it wasn't like awkward, but it was just, I, I don't know. I cannot put my finger on it, but th- this was the first time that I didn't like Will Patton as an actor. I actually really like him. And I don't know if it's just he's he's like really looking old, like really. Yeah, old. that's not an ageist comment. It's just like I, I, it, it was the first time where I was just like, Ugh, I just don't want to see this guy on the screen anymore. Yeah, it didn't. Th- and it wasn't that he was a bad actor either. I, I don't know. I just no, I, I, I just did not like the Hawkins character in this in this film at all. I get it 100 percent because I mean, obviously, Jamie Lee Curtis is older, but I never see her as an old person until I see right. her with Hawkins. And then I'm like, yes. oh, wow. I mean, she's got I don't know how old Jamie Lee Curtis is, but I don't get that. She's very youthful. She's got this energy that just kind of glows. And then he kind of hobbles on screen and just like, <laughs> oh, no, like now I'm looking at old people like I don't ever think that or feel that until he comes on. And yeah. and this this back and forth between them is just. I don't know. I think they're just there to tell us if Lori makes it, she's going to be okay. And this is, this is going to be her happy ending. And I'm not opposed to Lori Strode getting a happy ending, but it's just a little sappy. I think the way that they do it, but we'll, we'll get closer to that. So she's on her way out of the grocery store when she's confronted by the sister of the graveyard caretaker who took a halogen bulb to the fucking neck in the last movie and apparently she lived. Now, I, I like the touch of, you know, this this character was in all three movies. She was in the first one. And of course, we thought she got killed in the second one. Somehow she made it through in this third movie. And her sister is giving Laurie Strode a, a pretty difficult time. You know, we get our first real sign of evident trauma from Laurie when she's accused of causing all these issues in Haddonfield from four years previous because she wouldn't leave well enough alone. And, and honestly, I kind of like this, like this is kind of when it really started to grab back towards the, the, the uncomfortable and the, the anxiety around the experience. And I don't really feel like they ever explore it enough. 
I think we get it maybe once or twice in little bits throughout the rest of the movie, but I really liked where they were going with this, but it doesn't really go much further. I really liked this scene too, because you know what? It was the first time that I even considered the way the town would look at Laurie Strode. The way we look at Laurie through, this is what the 13th film now in the, in the series. She hasn't been in all of them, but she's, you know, we always look at her as the heroine, right? We look at her as the, she's the final girl. She's the one we're rooting for. Yeah. She's the one who we're on her side. This was the first time. And with the introduction of this character here in this interaction, where I was like, oh, there's people that don't look at Laurie Strode the way we do, yeah. right? They look at her as a rabble rouser, as a troublemaker, as the person that brought this death upon their quiet little town. Whereas we don't, we don't view her that way, right? I actually really liked this. I was shocked that this black woman lived, but I suppose, you know, Hawkins lived with a, a knife to the neck from, from the first movie. Sure, so yeah. I guess that's par for the course for this particular film truly yeah this was the first time that we saw Lori kind of take a step back into the you yeah. know into the Lori that we used to know the one that's not necessarily doing so well and again I, I mentioned cancel culture earlier I think this is another sort of nod to that where where there's a group of people out there that are just trying to find somebody to blame for all the wrongdoings that they're seeing out in the world or in this case in, in the little town of Haddonfield so Corey and Allison go to the bar and dance the night away on a date before Corey's confronted by Jeremy's mom from the opening scene where he basically just flips out and runs as he's trying to escape. And I guess I should say before I go further, like this is the scene that's really meant to cement him and Allison as a couple, right? Like it's actually a really cool scene. I, I like it and I'm engaged in the scene. Again, the time is ticking and I'm watching my my watch a little bit not because i'm not interested in the movie but because i'm thinking this is a halloween movie right i haven't seen michael myers yet right <laughs> right fuck and, is and i don't know the exact time stamp you know is, and no i know um, i know when he comes I, I in i don't know where we are right now before <laughs> oh, he comes okay. in but oh, yes it's, okay. it's gonna yeah. it's gonna be a while before we still see him so he, he panics and he runs out of the bar and Allison tries to stop him and it doesn't work. And he's walking home and he makes his way to this bridge. And the bullies, the, the band geek bullies just happen to find him on this bridge where they get into another altercation and they end up knocking Corey off the bridge. They think he's dead and so they go away. And this is when we get what I feel like is our first of many nods to Stephen King because we see something in the sewers under the bridge where he was. I mean, we, we get a lot of nods to things like it. We get Carrie, we get Christine. So Corey gets actually, he gets pulled into a well. And then we finally see Michael for the first time. And it has been 45 minutes by my watch when we first see Michael Myers. And then we get, we get arguably the weirdest and, and potentially most frustrating scene of the movie when Michael grabs Corey and he begins choking him, but lets him go after he looks into his eyes and we, the viewers, see all these flashbacks of all these horrible things that have happened to Corey. And Corey kind of pulls away and Michael lets him go. And it's, it's, this is the part where I'm sitting in the theater thinking, Oh no. 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 
what just happened? Where are we going? And I guess I got to, this is where I got to turn it over to you. I got to, I got to figure out from you, what did you think was happening here? Was this a, uh, was this a body switching thing? Was this Michael possessing him? I mean, I don't, we, we don't get an answer. Like they never tell us what happened here. We're supposed to just sort of infer based off of what happens later, but I still don't know what, what happened. When I first watched it, the first, well, and let me take a step back. It, in retrospect, well, let me take a two steps back. Originally, you had said you were going to try to stay spoiler free for this film, not watching any trailers. Mm-hmm. Did, were you able to do that? Absolutely not. I failed miserably. Okay. So this scene right here was in the trailer. It not was? all the flashbacks, not the flashbacks, oh, but okay. but when Michael grabbed him and when he looked, when they looked, where they locked eyes, that scene was in the trailer. In retrospect, after seeing it, I'm pissed that it was. When I first saw the scene, the first thing that I thought of was Jason goes to hell. Yes, 100%. And the soul or the evil was going from one it was going from one body to the transference that's the, that's, yeah. the, that's the first thing that i that i thought it's pretty clear pretty quick that that's not quite what happens i think after subsequent viewings i think the story that they're trying to tell here is about evil itself and and you know this concept of the shape and the fact that evil never truly dies it just transfers from one entity to the next i saw a really interesting thread on twitter where they said you know this this trilogy is really not about michael it's about haddonfield and and i'll and i'll get into that a little bit more kind of as we go but but again, the first thing, I, like I couldn't not think about Jason Goes to Hell, which again, doesn't necessarily throw me out of things, but what it did was it reinforced the feeling that I had at the end of Halloween Kills was that this this is bigger than a human being yes. going, there, there's, there's something else at play, whether it's supernatural or, or witchcraft, whatever it is, there's something else here it, it it confirmed it for me and again i it was all but confirmed at the end of that second movie but that's what it called back to again yeah no i i agree i think i think that's probably in line and and by the end of this movie i think my you know i'll, I'll spoil one of my questions to you is going to be did Corey go insane or did he become evil because i do think there's a line to be drawn between those two arguments. And I don't know if I still know, I think arguments could be made on either side. And I, I guess maybe the viewer can decide, you know, where that ultimately lands. But yeah, that, that, that scene was very interesting to me. And that was my first real concern in this movie, 45 minutes in, because I'm like, I, I just, I don't know. I know they're not going to explain it anymore because that's not what they do in these movies in this David Gordon Green trilogy. So I'm just hopeful that it somehow makes sense. So Corey then commits his first kill right after he leaves the well when a homeless man confronts him. 
And he then rushes to Allison's side to apologize because he ran away from her the night before. And he takes her on a tour of the house where Jeremy died, which is weird. I mean, I don't know. Red flag, probably. I don't have a lot of relationship experience, but I'm checking out around that time if I'm her. They then find themselves at dinner where he gets in this altercation with this creepy cop ex-boyfriend who follows Corey to the well so that Michael can kill him, I guess. Michael is very weak and can't do it without Corey's help. But once he does, he starts like convulsing and shaking and doing this weird thing as he appears to be regaining strength. And this really... The one thing that you and I did kind of talk about when we did speak on the phone after watching this was the when I asked Robert Englund what his favorite pitch for Freddy versus Jason that never actually happened. And Robert told me the story about, well, there was this really cool idea about Freddie and he gets really old and he gets out of shape and he can't kill the kids anymore. And it becomes a game to a newer generation of kids where they would put themselves to sleep and then go fuck with Freddie and his dreams because they just, they could beat him up and he wasn't strong enough. And then during one of those sequences, some kid accidentally falls and trips and, you know, impales himself on Freddie's glove or something like that. And he, gets killed and Freddy starts to regain his strength. And that's how he gets strong enough to terrorize again. And that's all I could think of during the scene is that Michael is somehow getting stronger. Now I'm going to argue, I don't know if that's actually what happens by the end of the movie. Cause it doesn't make sense. And I don't also don't know how we're supposed to reconcile this with what we've seen in this series so far, because he's not supposed to be supernatural or at least again, we didn't think he was. So the fact that he's getting all energized from killing again is is kind of weird. Yeah, it's remarkably weird, right? Because for those first two films in this trilogy, and I suppose even, even if you go back to Halloween 78, he was human. You know, I mean, yes, the, you know, there were some horror tropes where he gets shot and he, you know, falls off the balcony and then he's gone and those kind of things. But like up until the last 10 minutes of Halloween Kills, he was human. And then, as we've already covered, the last 10 minutes of Halloween Kills, there's clearly something else going on, supernatural or evil or whatever it is. And then we fast forward four years, and he's this old kind of decrepit old guy again. So he's kind of back to human, right? Father Time is undefeated. Sure. And he's kind of this, he's kind of this wounded animal that go that has gone off to die, essentially, right? He's kind of crawled off into the into the woods or into the into the sewers. And again, I, I think what they're I think what they're trying to tell is the story of of evil. And and yeah, it's it's the the killing is making him stronger. Again, I, I agree with you. I'm not sure how it kind of reconciles itself towards the end of the film unless you want to play with this idea of there's only so much evil to go around and maybe like Corey later in the film takes more of it than Mike, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Yeah. There's there's maybe something that to explore there, but I actually, I actually kind of really liked this scene here because it, it cemented Corey as a bad guy. Yeah. As an evil character. I mean, even even the first guy that he killed was kind of an accident, I th- at least initially. And then 
it it gives us kind of the resurrection of Michael. You know, we talked at the end of the last podcast about how we we didn't want them to try to explain yeah. Michael's motivation because they wouldn't be able to do it in a satisfying way. Right. And and they didn't, and it wasn't. <laughs> right. Sure. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, no, it's, um, it's so it's totally fair because, yeah. it, but it doesn't keep me from still wanting to know. Yeah, absolutely. And, absolutely. and, and the one thing that I do respect about this movie and even Halloween kills is it's going to ask us to draw a lot of our own conclusions. It's not mm-hmm. going to spell it out a B C D right. Which is sort of how the slasher movies did it back in the eighties. You know, they had to explain everything. They had to eventually give us reasons for everything. And sometimes those reasons worked and a lot of times they didn't. And I can't tell yet if it's to the detriment that, you know, they don't tell us a lot. They don't give us anything, but it's when it starts teetering on the supernatural element that it becomes disappointing that they don't give us more because up to this point, we thought everything was based in a very realistic world where there was just this nut job who was going around killing people and now when you start seeing some of these scenes, it's like, okay, well, what's, what's really going on? And, and there's going to be a lot of, I looked into his eyes and that's not Corey's eyes and it's Michael's eyes. And it's like, ah, uh, that's when it starts getting a little bit fuzzy for me. But I mean, I guess we'll get there. We then head back to the doctor's house that Allison works for. And we haven't really talked about him very much there. You know, he's just kind of another asshole boss, but he's, He's banging this nurse that Allison works with and giving her promotions over Allison. And this seems like another deplorable character from the Rob Zombie universe. And and nobody's Mm -hmm. sad to see this guy get murdered. So Corey and Michael actually tag team the kills and, and what is actually a pretty cool scene visually at least, but really does nothing for me personally, it doesn't really do anything but up the body count because at this point in the movie, I think we've only seen what maybe Two kills. Just two. Just two. We've seen Jeremy, the kid at the beginning, and then we saw the I'm homeless. Sorry, three. Who am I missing? Yeah. Uh, Jeremy, the 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 kid, uh, the kid at the beginning, the homeless guy, and then the cop. That oh, the cop. Him. Okay, yeah, of course. So we've only killed three people, and we're approaching the halfway point in this movie. And you know, I, I do like the scene. I think it's really interesting. We get a a very obvious nod to the first movie when Michael pins this girl up to the wall with his butcher knife and gives the the head tilt thing, which gosh, I wanted to like that more, but it's such an iconic scene. I, I just couldn't, I couldn't fall in love with the fact that it seemed like they just kind of ripped it off rather than, mm-hmm. you know, actually made it something original. We then get this really cool scene where Lori confronts Corey in Jeremy's house. So he's sleeping in Jeremy's house and you know, he awakes to the knocking of this this chair that Lori's sitting in. She's knocking it against the wall. And I, I think this is maybe the second best scene in this movie because this is where Lori kind of cranks up the badass meter a little bit and and starts really kind of getting in his face. And And I don't know if you caught this, but the whole time I was watching this the first time through, I'm like, wait a minute, is she really there? Is he imagining her? Is it possible? Because she kind of disappears at the end of the scene through the window. And it almost seems as if she wasn't, which would have given more credence to him going insane. But in the next scene, when she's talking to her granddaughter, she's holding a paper airplane, which she was holding in that scene. Mm -hmm. And I guess my question to you is, would it have been cooler if that were the case? 
I thought the same thing. I was like, oh, it, you know, he's starting to hallucinate because at, at this point, even though he is, has done some evil things, I think he's still conflicted at this point, right? I mean, he's still kind of teetering. He's yeah. almost, he's almost kind of teetering back and forth between the wholesome guy that we saw at the beginning of the film that chose chocolate milk versus the, the murderous one, you know, and I, and I think they're, you know, I think they're trying to tell this story of society has changed him and the town has changed him and, and yeah. circumstances of, you know, like that's, that's the story that they're trying to tell when it comes to Corey. And, and actually they do, they do it pretty well, actually. I think they do um, it really well. I mean, I'll yeah. go ahead and say that the Corey yeah. part of this movie is my favorite part. Yeah. The actor is absolutely fucking nailing it. And this, I, I got to be honest, as much as I was curious about where Michael was, I wasn't missing him. I really wasn't. Yeah. Like I was invested into this Corey story. And if this had been a spinoff movie, if you will, mm-hmm. I would have been really interested in where this was going. Yeah. And even in these scenes here, right? I mean, he's like, it's super creepy. He's he's laying there and he's sleeping where Jeremy died, which, you know, again, is is creepy on a whole bunch of levels. But again, it's like, you're, you're seeing things play out where I, you know, is he, maybe he's not always there. Maybe he's not always lucid. Like he goes into these murderous rages and then, you know, I don't know, does he forget about them or what have you? Yeah. And he's, and he's kind of going back and forth and it's not till later in the film that he goes. And again, I don't know if we're going to say he's going insane or if he's going evil, you know, I, again, I don't know how we're going to describe it, but there's still, there's still good in him, right? There's still in that innocence in him. Yeah, conflict, that, I think. That, that continues to get pushed. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's what makes this interesting as it sort of describes how he's descending into where we're going to end up seeing him. So Corey then goes back to the well and beats up Michael and, and takes his mask so that he can continue his killing spree as Michael, I guess. He does this by luring the the band bully nerds to the junkyard where he basically kills them all. And I'm I'm summarizing that very quickly. It's a pretty cool scene. And this is a part of where the whole Christine thing comes into play because, you know, the cars and all that stuff. This is a pretty good scene. I, I like this as well. It's, it's the most menacing, I think of the scenes where he becomes Michael. And I especially like the kill where he takes the blowtorch and put it, puts it in the kid's mouth and just fries him. I've never seen that before. I thought that was really cool. And he spares no victims either. He even kills the, the one girl with the Afro who, uh, you know, who appears to be trying to call her friends off of him every time that they they're bullying him, but stomps on her right in the face. And, and it's, it's a pretty brutal scene, but pretty interesting. This obviously is where he's kind of, he's made the full, the full switch he is now evil he's taken over i don't know if we're supposed to think that it's because he's got the mask now he's got the the you know again there's there's jason goes to hell vibes here where he's got the mask and so now he's michael he's carrying out michael's duty or mike you know whatever the thing that i'm missing here is and we talked about in the last podcast the motivation of some of these characters right michael specifically we never get we never get Michael's motivation. That's so frustrating. I think we it's, should just call that out it, right now. We, we should. It, it, we, we, we never, we never get 
the we never get the connection between Michael and Lori. We, no. we never we never get it. Well, and in the second movie, we were led to believe that maybe there was no connection, right? Right. Like maybe this was yeah. all something that Lori was conjuring in her head because of her own trauma and what she's been through with him. But by the third movie, like he clearly goes back to get her in the third act of this movie. And it's like, why? I I don't get it. It doesn't make any sense at this point. They haven't. And I, I, I understand and respect how difficult it must be for them to create that exposition around a character who doesn't speak because he can't, he can't, he doesn't speak. He doesn't emote. There's nothing there. So that's gotta be really difficult, but you've got to give us something because otherwise it just doesn't, it it's not satisfying. I think that's what they're trying to do when they're trying to tell the story of evil and and the town as a character and how there's just kind of evil incarnate in those. But again, they it just you know you mentioned it earlier. This this film had one job, and and I I just I just don't think it did it. It didn't stick the landing. And again, you know, we're, we're going to kind of get there as we as we talk through the end. But it's yeah. like, I'm not even sure that I could define for you what I wanted this film to do. But but after watching this film, my the initial time I watched it, I think I told you this, it was kind of like, meh, like that. That was my initial kind of reaction. It was like, eh, yeah, one one terrible, one great. You know, I, I've, I've come around a little bit I've, after watching it another couple of times, but it just didn't give us you know, like you said, one fucking job. And, and I just don't, I don't think it nailed it. I, I, I love the idea about making Haddonfield a character. And I love infusing the, the townsfolk into the story and doing all that. I think they did. That's what I, that's why I liked Halloween kills. I thought they, they did a good job with that, but you know, (laughs) I, I made this comment, I think in the last, in the Halloween kills episode about how they retcon stuff is similar to me to a, you know, a courtroom drama where someone says strike that comment for the record. And the jurors are just supposed to forget it, even though it was already said, you can't just forget the other movies that took place. Right. Like I know that Halloween four, Halloween five, Halloween six and H2O, I know those aren't supposed to be in this Canon, but you can't just forget them. Like those movies all featured Michael Myers and his relentless, journey to murder everybody in Haddonfield there has to be a reason behind that like I just I know we're not talking about the same Michael Myers but the fact that they really didn't take any time to give us anything more on him and they spent so much time building up this Corey character which I liked but it just didn't it didn't make sense and I think I wanted more about Michael and Lori and that's basically the it's it's reduced to to almost a stinger at the end of the movie you know like yeah. it's it's not really yeah. a, a satisfying ending so in an effort to up the death count Corey goes home and he takes out his mother and then off to the radio station for the dj now the dj kill i really liked i thought that was really good that was sort of a a throwback to 80s slasher because it was one that was very brutal but it also made you laugh because yeah. he bashes his head in there into the uh, end of the turntable and then he cuts off his tongue with a pair of scissors and the tongue causes the record to skip. And it was just a really, it was a great scene. I, at that point, I'm like, oh yeah, that's the kind of movie I wanted. Like I right. wanted just a little bit more of that. That was, that was pretty fun. And it's important to note, I think at this point, 
Corey's kills. So he's killed to this point. He's killed the cop, right? Or let's, let's take Jeremy and leave him out of it. He's killed the cop. He's the killed man. the, uh, the old man. Eh, the old man's kind of a tricky one. He's killed the, the doctor, the doctor. So basically all of these kills that he's doing right now are, and, and the band nerds, or did we get there? Yep. Yeah. The band nerds, these are all revenge kills. Like yes. these aren't, these are all, I guess you could call them premeditated. Like the, there are reasons behind the kills that yes. he's making the, the bum is, or the, you know, the old guy, the, the homeless guy, that one's, that a was by mistake. I think, yeah. That was by yeah. mistake, but it was also a bit of self-defense because the, the homeless guy was the one that pulled the knife on him. Yes. And so one could say, well, that kind of counts, but not really, but all the subsequent kills was as he sort of, becomes michael myers are are based off of you know revenge off of the people who have wronged him to this point so i i think that that's pretty interesting and that's very different from michael and i, I don't know what that says ultimately but that's interesting so laurie is at home and she's finishing up her memoir on halloween night when she pulls out a drink and a gun and calls the cops to report a suicide and the gunshot is heard from behind a half-closed door in a very clever way to kind of cover that up. And we find out it was a trap for Corey, who was dressed as Michael Myers and, and ready to kill Lori. Uh, she shoots him and she falls and he falls down the stairs where she basically dares him to kill her. Corey grabs the knife, but instead shoves it into his own neck in an attempt to frame Lori. And Allison walks in just in time. And buys it hook, line, and sinker. Now, now that I, I, we got to pick this stuff apart because there's a lot that happens right here. So, one thing that really bothers me is this whole suicide thing. Like, I don't get that at all. I don't know if there, if that's, if that's more of a diversion for the viewers, or I, I don't know why they expect that us to think that after all this time that that's what Lori's going to do. I will fully admit for a half second, I thought to myself, holy shit, did they actually do that? But it didn't make any sense to me that Lori had been through everything that she's been through and she's going to kill herself because her granddaughter wants to run away with this crazy kid. Like, I just, I don't know. I didn't understand that. What a weird way to try to entrap somebody <laughs> into her house, right? Yeah, I wasn't quite sure about that either, because at this point in the movie, she doesn't know Michael's back, right? She has no knowledge of Michael at this point. She doesn't. She knows that that's Corey, even though he's right. wearing Michael's mask. Right. And she doesn't even react to that. But at this point, no, she doesn't have any inkling that that's a thing still. Right. So, yeah, I, I, um, I will admit I, when I saw it, I did think for an instant, oh shit, like that's the way they killed Lori. Like they're like, Lori's going out. I agree. It didn't quite make a whole lot of sense. That'd be a terrible way to kill her. It, I mean, it yeah, it would. To, to it bring would. her back and rehabilitate her and all that stuff. And then for her to, I mean, I'm not saying that a, a suicide would be a strange way for her to end her story, but at that point in the movie, giving where yeah. we were in this, yeah. it didn't make any sense. Like, I don't know why she didn't just hide behind the door and then open it and right. shoot him. Like it, yeah. it just didn't, it seemed way too obnoxiously dramatic. You know what it was? It was, it was, it was kind of a callback a little bit to Halloween 2018 where Judy Greer's character was 
acting as if she was all meek and hurt and whatever. And then she pulls the gun on Michael and I can't remember what she said. So, so maybe this is the, like the culmination of 40 years of Rambo training, right. Where she's going to pretend like she's meek and pretend like she's done. And then, Oh, by the way, no, I'm actually the still badass. I I don't. Yeah. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm reaching, but that's not even the real frustrating part for me. The the real frustrating part for me is, is the scene with, Corey, when he basically says if if i can't have her nobody will and he kills himself and this is the part where i'm really or i'm sorry he doesn't kill himself he does stab himself in the neck technically he'll get killed officially in a few minutes but i'm trying to understand at this point is he evil or is he crazy because this tells me he must be crazy because i don't know Unless he thought he was going to die from the gunshot wounds in the fall, like the fact that he would stick a knife in his own neck just to frame somebody else is the dumbest fucking thing I've ever heard. Like, I don't, I guess I just don't understand the thought process behind that. If you tell me he was insane and he just didn't know any better or whatever, then I, okay, I guess I'll go with that. But I can't see anybody committing suicide to, try to frame somebody especially with his arc no i i i yeah i killing I think, a fly I with think, a bazooka right like it just doesn't right, make right. any sense no i i think i think cory's cory's arc here i think is weird because it goes from it goes from wholesome to teetering back and forth with evil slash insanity sometimes he's you know, it's almost like he's a, a bipolar, right? Where sometimes he's evil and sometimes he's wholesome. Yeah. Like there was, there's a scene where he's in the, in the, uh, he's talking to Allison and he's clearly lucid and he's nice and he likes her. And then, you know, just like that, he goes and he goes crazy again. So, so I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm not sure if it's. I mean, she was going to find out that it was him anyways, because Obviously, Lori didn't kill the DJ. Lori didn't kill the doctor. Lori didn't kill the right. chick the doctor was right. banging. Like, right. Lori didn't kill his mother. I mean, obviously, it's all going to tie back to him. But I just couldn't figure out why he thought that was a good idea. I think that that moment where he where he kills himself, quote unquote, that's a moment of insanity. And, and we can argue about was he insane the whole time? Was he taken over by this entity, taken over by the shape, taken over by the evil? I, you know, you, you mentioned the scene where Lori and he are, uh, where Lori's sitting in the, in the chair and, and you said, is, um, is Lori there? I had thought several times through this movie, was Michael there? Was Michael actually a mm, thing? Interesting. Or was, or was Corey, you know, kind of conjuring him in his head? You know, I, I could I could have very well seen a scene at the end of this movie where they kind of retconned and, and they showed us that Michael was never there. And this was just Corey, you know, like this was just Corey's Corey's mind doing all this. Yeah, maybe. Candidly, that might have been better than what we got. But no, I, I, I think I think when he killed himself, that was that was the a moment of insanity, I think. OK. All right. Well, that's I mean, I could I guess I could kind of go with that. It just seemed like they kind of teetered back and forth so many yeah. times. No, I no, I, I think you're right. I think they did. Absolutely. He he there were times in this movie when he was wholesome. There were times when he was pure evil. 
and there was times when he was angry and then there was times when he was insane yeah i, I yes th- yes it was not a consistent portrayal of Corey by any stretch and in an effort not to forget about michael uh we actually do see him appear from the shadows to finish off Corey. so michael is the one that actually technically kills Corey. And he will face off with his arch nemesis of Laurie Strode one last time. But instead of the mother of all face-offs, which I think we all kind of wanted and kind of expected, we get what you would expect to see from two people in their late 60s to deliver. It's it's a pretty mediocre and underwhelming fight scene. I, this is all my opinion. I'll certainly give you the floor to, to weigh in. But, you know, they go toe-to-toe for a minute or two, but... You know, Lori manages basically to pin him down and she slits his throat and she slits his wrists. Allison finally comes back after realizing that clearly, you know, Corey had done all this, this mayhem and murdered half the town. And she actually helps to finish him off. And I don't know, I guess before we go into the to the very end of it, what were your thoughts upon the conclusion of this fight? scene and i'll use fight scene in quotes because i I don't think it was much of that yeah it was it was a very geriatric fight scene here's the thing right it's like this entire trilogy has been undecided about how they're going to frame michael myers Mm -hmm. is he human is he inhuman is he supernatural is we we don't really know it's like again up through the last 10 minutes of kills he was human and then he wasn't and then at the beginning of this movie, he was human again. He had kind of crawled off into the sewers to die and father time was winning. And then he kills the cop and he becomes, you know, he kind of gets an influx of, you know, and, you know, an influx of evil and he becomes strong again. And then now he's back to being this like 70 year old guy that's getting his ass kicked by Margaret that you're, you know, um, not Margaret Thatcher. Mar- <laughs> <laughs> that would be even better. Martha Stewart, I think, is where Martha you're going. <laughs> you know, and so here, here's what I loved about this scene, though. I wanted a winner. I wanted a definitive somebody wins. Yeah. And we got that. No, we did, for sure. We got that. And, like, I, I, I didn't even want something as innocuous as, like, Freddy versus Jason freddie winking at the i didn't even want that i wanted oh, no. a i wanted like somebody's somebody lives somebody dies and I, and candidly i wouldn't have cared who it was but i wanted a, but i wanted a winner and and we got that and i and so i can appreciate that what i'm struggling with is again i i think they're telling the story of evil and in fact, they even talk about it when she's writing her memoirs about how evil never dies. It just kind of changed shapes or changed forms. I can't remember exactly the, the words they use. And so the question becomes like, where did the evil go? If the evil is no longer in Michael, where did it go? Well, it was in Corey for a while. And where is it now? And, you know, and that's, that's kind of where you go with the next, the next phase of this story. But I loved the fact that they genuinely, they killed Michael. Lori killed Michael. She won period paragraph end of story. Yeah, no, I agree with that part. I, I, I felt confident we were going to get a definitive end with this because I don't see Jamie Lee Curtis, despite the fact that she has said 
after the first, second, and sixth and uh, seventh movies, or I'm uh, sorry, seventh and eighth, she's never movies, doing it again. She's never yeah. doing it again. I really truly believe she's not going to be a part of this universe ever again. I agree. So I did believe that we were going to get a very final version of this story. I thought she might be the one that dies, or maybe that they both died, but mm-hmm. that's not exactly what happened. But I, I did appreciate the fact that they committed to something. I don't think, I mean, in hindsight, I don't know what I would have thought was better because I can't imagine both of these guys going through this really, you know, old man, old woman kind of fight and having it be very believable. But at the same time, it, it felt like I was watching two old people fight on screen. And it just, <laughs> there was, there was something to it that felt, very dated and of course it was dated or or, you know they were aged but it felt that way and that's the that's sort of what I came away with and I I don't know I'm still kind of wrestling with how I feel I didn't expect you know a fast and the furious cars exploding or anything like that but I just I it was a very short scene and yeah that is the reason that all of the Halloween fans showed up to this movie is to see what would happen with Laurie and Michael And we got maybe five minutes of that out of a two hour movie. So I I would, I'm going to go ahead and say that they didn't stick the landing. Not in my humble opinion, I don't think they gave me something that I was ultimately satisfied with. And again, I don't know how they would do it any better. I, you know, props to the writers for, for pulling off what they did. But for me personally, I was just kind of left with like a, "Eh, all right, it's not, it's not terrible. It doesn't offend me, but I also don't really think, that it ended the way that I wanted it to. When sitting back after watching this movie, I actually thought quite a bit about our conversations around the new Ghostbusters film, mm. right? And 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 the and the comparison that I draw there is is to your point. Everybody went to go see that new Ghostbusters film to see how they would treat the the original Ghostbusters, how they would show up, where they would show up, what they would do, right? And you and I on several podcasts have talked about how we thought that was terribly handled, right? Like the Ghostbusters just literally just kind of showed up and they were like, here, write your own lines and go say some shit and go be Bill Murray and go be Dan Aykroyd for a couple minutes and and you're done, right? This isn't nearly that bad. Right. But it's, but to your point, it, it didn't, it didn't give us the fan service that we wanted. Yes. That 40 something year old guys and gals that have grown up with this saga and this franchise, it didn't give us something that was satisfying for fans of the franchise, for us, for those two characters. Right. Because this whole franchise started with the rivalry between Michael Myers and Laurie Strode. And that's how it should have ended. And I mean, I guess technically it did, but it was almost a footnote. It, it barely mm-hmm. counted. And again, I don't want to discount all this Corey Cunningham storyline because I really liked it. And arguably that was the most engaging part of this whole movie. But in retrospect, it shouldn't have been like, maybe if it was the first of the reboots, then sure. Okay. I'll go along with that. As long as we get to Lori and Michael, but we, we never really got to, it felt tacked on. It felt like, yeah it felt like they had filmed the first hour and a half of this movie and thought, Oh shit, we got to get back to Lori and Michael. That's 
that's how it felt. And I know it wasn't that, but that's how it came across. Yeah, I, I can't add, add anything to that. I agree 100%. But we're not done. In a very somber and bizarre funeral procession, Michael is strapped to the top of a car and taken back to the junkyard where the entire town has apparently been hip to this whole this whole thing and watches as Lori puts him into this giant shredder and further ensuring there would be no more sequels. And I don't know. I, I didn't need this scene. I I appreciate that they were trying to do something that would create more finality to Michael not being there. But all I could think of is, fuck, they did it so much better in H2O. They really did. When she's like, fuck yeah. you, and she chops his head off and the music kicks in and the movie ends. Like, that was such a better ending to this. The The fact that they kind of made it like a funeral procession to me, almost glorified Michael Myers, you know, like it, it almost gave him a little bit of sympathy or it made us, rem it reminded the viewers that we all were there for Michael and not necessarily for Lori. And I think that that was the wrong, that was the wrong choice for that. I don't know. And it's interesting because as we, as we go through the, the coda here, you know, Lori starts narrating again cringefully and she starts talking about how there was no tombstone there will be no funeral there will be no this as she's writing her memoir which you know geez hopefully it doesn't become a new york times bestseller because you're basically memorializing right. michael by doing that but i, I don't know I, I just to me it was too much i know they were trying to put a bow on it but this is i, I just don't feel like this is the way they should have done it it didn't work for me this kind of ending funeral procession here is where is where the at least to me the idea of Haddonfield as a character is really solidified. Agreed. The, 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 this is this is where you really start to understand and think about the effect of this man and his actions on this town and and i guess i could under i can understand where you know if you're in this small podunk town and this this one guy and his actions have essentially ident or uh, defined your entire existence right whether whether you were affected by him or not there's ideas of groupthink here. There's ideas of mom mentality. There's ideas of uh, there's evil. You know, there's there's all these kind of things wrapped wrapped in one. I can understand why they would want and need this funeral procession, right? Of of, of finally burying evil. I can understand that. It was a little bit kind of on the nose for me. Yeah. Again, I, I I appreciated the finality of it. Yes. Like there's no like. Michael as a character is done. Yes. Now, uh, well, <laughs> what, what, what I disagree, what I, but yeah, yeah. Well, but, but what I, what I could foresee if they ever want to do it and, I, and David Gordon Reed has said that he's done, but like I could foresee that evil reincarnating in, in somebody else or something else. But I think Michael as a character, I think is gone at least in this particular 
universe correct halloween this universe is done yeah i don't think as long as there is somebody alive whose last name is akkad that michael myers is ever done it's not going to happen and that was going to be one of my follow-up questions but just to quickly wrap things up you know allison leaves town to make her own life and and laurie strode's story with frank showing up at the end to talk about cherry blossoms and and things like that and that's that's basically how we end and we get a couple very obvious nods to john carpenter and some shots uh still shots with no sound or no music or no background or anything and then uh, blue oyster cult plays us off at the end with don't fear the reaper as this saga comes to a close and and that's how halloween ends for the rest of us so Okay, so I got a couple. I got a couple questions here that I wrote down. Good. Now that we're done. Good. Now that we. Now we can get to them. So do okay. I. Okay. Coming out of this, and you touched on it a little bit. Do you want more Halloween? Not necessarily this version of Halloween. Not necessarily this. Not necessarily the David Gordon Green. But do you want more Michael Myers? Do you want more Halloween? Do you want more of this? This story. Yes, absolutely. Okay. I mean, I. Okay. I will never stop wanting more Michael Myers or Freddy Krueger or Jason Voorhees. Like I think there are ways to reinvent these characters and maybe put modern spins on them. I think the, I mean, we called it, you know, David Gordon Green's universe or, you know, his version of this. It's really Jamie Lee Curtis's, right? Because she's the one that's been involved in the four movies that we are talking about as a saga here. That's done. That's that's finished. I don't want to see any anything more. I don't want to see Jamie Lee Curtis again. I mean, if Andy Matichek comes back and, and they spin something off there, yeah, okay, maybe. But it wouldn't be Michael, and it wouldn't even be mm-hmm. Corey, so I don't even know what that looks like. But I fully believe that evil never dies. It only changes mm-hmm. shape. And we will see Michael Myers again. And it will, I think ideally what would be good is to wait five, seven years, just let it Mm -hmm. sleep, let it die. And then, you know, they'll probably try to reboot it because that's, you know, that's what they do. There's no way this property disappears forever. Cause there's, cause there's money to be made. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I, I tell you, if, if we're going to stay in this universe, I think where we go is Allison and Corey's baby. That's where we go. If we, I think, yeah, yeah, I think that's where we go. If we go, I I don't, I don't think they're going to go that way, but I think if we go in this universe, I think that's where we go. Okay. Well, it's, it's funny because, you know, we've talked about the, uh, the talk scary to me podcast, which features scout Taylor Compton and Daniel Harris, both actresses from the, the well, the Rob zombie series. And of course, Daniel Harris was the little girl in, in four and five. I know that Daniel Harris has been vocal about trying to pitch something where there's a series or something where her, her character, because Daniel Harris in, in four and five played the daughter of Laurie Strode. Yeah. Whose okay. name was interestingly enough, Jamie. And, and she's like, you know, Hey, we should get this series started where it picks up with her life and where she went and like basically retconning. I think it was six, like her character was in the sixth, the curse of Michael Myers and got right. killed in that movie but maybe retconning that one out and, and picking up where, 
where that left off or something. And I don't know. I don't think we'll see that. I think it would be better to just leave it all alone. Honestly, this is going to sound crazy coming from me. I would rather see a a second sequel, a third movie from the Rob Zombie universe before I would see anything else here. Because I think, I don't remember how much we've talked about Halloween 2. Again, another very polarizing movie. They did a lot of stuff that I hated in that movie, but they actually did a lot of stuff I really, really liked. And I, I agree with the, the guys on the Now Playing podcast. I think that Rob Zombie was trying to do something that the studio wouldn't let him do and could have turned it into a really interesting third part where Lori becomes the killer because mm-hmm. she's so fucked up, you know, so yeah. much trauma from everything. And I, wow, that would have been super interesting to do that. So I don't know. I, I, I would almost rather see that. But that's that's kind of my that's my take on that. I got two more questions and then I will certainly entertain anything else that you have. Okay. As a standalone, is this a recommendable film? Mm. It's hard to call it a standalone because it's a sequel and it doesn't make sense. If okay. You, so if you don't have right, the history, so, but uh, okay. Okay. So within David Gordon Green's universe, is this a recommendable film? Slightly. I, I think for me, it's okay. it's slightly. It it is my least favorite of his movies okay. in this in okay. this universe. It's got some really good stuff. I, I I would love to have seen a whole movie with just Corey and Allison, uh, you know, kind of figuring everything out and maybe just teases of Michael Myers and shades of the evil and all that stuff. But obviously, we had to sort of try to balance, you know. Corey's storyline with Michael Myers and I that's where I feel like we kind of faltered but yeah I mean I, overall I didn't hate the movie I don't know if I'm gonna I did rewatch it once just for the purposes of this podcast yeah. I don't know if I see myself watching it again not not for a long time maybe okay. next year I will as as part right. of a trilogy but so and my and my last my last question is was this trilogy a success and before you answer that we, we, we talked in our last podcast and we made a lot of references and we, and we made a lot of comparisons to the Matrix trilogy, right? <laughs> yeah. and, and, that, and like that second Matrix film was really kind of dependent on how the third one was. If that, if that third Matrix film would have been really good, we would have looked at that second Matrix film as great I think we both agree that that third Matrix film was a little bit meh. And so because of that, that second film was not so good. Yeah. And and, and, and in fact, I believe, I, I think you even said, like, I, I'm, I'm going to wait and see ultimately how Halloween Kills plays out based on how Halloween ends. ends. I think there's a lot of similarities here. I will say that if we're going to talk about the Matrix comparisons i don't think this one was as bad as the third matrix film no not even close and i also don't think that this film is going to affect my enjoyment of halloween kills as much as the third matrix film changed my view of the second matrix film if that makes sense are you following me there yes i am so back to my question is this a recommendable trilogy was this trilogy a success you know this is a a tougher answer than i thought it would be because i'm how do i explain this i would much rather have 
the first two movies been underwhelming and the third movie be awesome rather mm-hmm. than the first two movies be really good and the third one miss be on lackluster because it's easy it's easy to to use that strong finish to be like oh yeah everything else was worth it and i'm gonna find things that i like that i didn't even know because i like the ending so much that i'm just gonna i'm gonna bring it all together and and you know think of it from that perspective so it's really tough because i i wanted this one to be good like i just wanted it to be competent i wanted it to be good so bad because i was so impressed that they didn't shit the bed on the first two movies um it's definitely, I can't answer it in a binary fashion, it, good versus bad. I can only say that I liked it and I'm glad, I'm glad that they did it. And overall, yeah, I, I think it's an overall success. I, it's, it's with a bit of an asterisk though, because I just, it's so hard for me to come to terms with the fact that this didn't end the way that I wanted it to. Sure. And I was hoping it was going to build to something else. You know, we talked in the last podcast about explaining more about Michael, explaining more about why he hates Lori, explaining more about Lori's, you know, fascination with this whole thing. And we didn't get any of that in this movie. The Lori and Michael were complete afterthoughts and, and the focus was all on Corey and Allison. And maybe that's the way that it should have been, but you know, it just didn't tie up the way that I wanted to. But that being said, I, I mean, I, I liked it. I enjoyed it. It wasn't bad. I think that Halloween, strangely enough, manages to be the most consistently decent horror franchise of all the ones that have, you know, the plethora of sequels. Yeah. You know, like Friday the 13th kind of trails off a lot for me. Nightmare on Elm Street is is my favorite, but if I'm being honest, you know, like they they definitely get worse as they go. And this one has has kind of bound has been has ebbed and flowed a little bit better, I think. The biggest miss here is they don't explain they don't explain Michael and Lori at all. They they don't give us any reason why the two of them are connected or intertwined or anything like that they you know they they give us in this film they give us literally nothing about why michael is interested in his house why he came home in the last film why he was drawn to that house why he's drawn to glory like any like none of that stuff is yeah and, and again we talked at the end of the last podcast Maybe we didn't want that, but but now that we're here and we didn't get it, I'm bummed that we didn't get it. Right. You know, I'm bummed that we didn't get it. Yeah, and it's a it's a catch-22, right? Like, I don't think they could have told us a story that we would have accepted, but the fact that they didn't tell us any story was was unacceptable. It was yeah. yeah. It, it, yeah. it sucks. But, you know, yeah. that's, that's tough. That's kind of what we get with this because they wanted to try to keep it serious, as quote-unquote serious as they could. And this was a safe way to to not give it some really hokey explanation and turn it back into some cheesy eighties horror. Yeah. So, so here's, here's, here's my, the last thing I'll leave you with. So if, if you look back at the original three Halloween films, so 78, what was it? 81. And then 83, maybe with Halloween three, something like that. Arguably the first two films, the, the first film is my, is my all time favorite horror film, 1978. That's, that's the, sure. that's, that's, that's my all time favorite horror film. Halloween two. Not a bad still flick. Holds up really, really well. Yeah. It's an amazing. It's not a bad flick at all. Halloween three 
is a really, really good horror film. It's just not a great Halloween film, right. if that makes sense. Yeah. Right. There's a lot of similarities here in this trilogy to that trilogy, in my opinion. The first two movies of this trilogy are really, really good. The third one, I think, is a really good horror film. Maybe it's just not a great Halloween film. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, that's you know what I mean. Whole, like, it's that's the whole Corey yeah. Cunningham thing, right? Like, right. We're, exactly. Right. Like, Michael doesn't appear until 45 minutes into this movie, so it's basically not a Halloween movie until yeah. that point. And it's funny you should make that comparison because if you and you may not have noticed, but and I didn't either. To be the honest. title, the title cards. Yeah, the, the title yeah. cards are the same, or at least the same font, same color. Maybe not the same font, but at least the same color as what they did for Halloween three. And I think that was intentional. I think that was their way of saying, hey, we're going to do something very different and unexpected. It, granted, it's got to it, be intentional, right? It has to be. It wasn't. Oh, yeah. One hundred percent. It was intentional. Yeah. I think that was their their nod to that movie, because that movie is it does have a pretty significant cult following. I remember watching it a very long time ago and thinking, what the fuck is this? It doesn't have yeah. Michael Myers in it. He's not in that movie. It has nothing to do with that. But the the people who have been able to disassociate that love that movie, love, love that movie. Yeah. So I think that was their way of just kind of paying homage to that. So I got a couple of questions too. So yeah. love it. We, we already kind of covered a few of these, you know, one of them was, you know, how does this last movie in the series have, you know, how do you feel about it have virtually nothing to do with a primary antagonist, which is in this case, Michael Myers, like in hindsight, is that, how much does that salt the experience for you? So at the, at the end of our last podcast, and again, we, we've talked about that last podcast quite a bit here. So again, it's episode 58 in the archives. Feel free to go back and listen to it. At the end of that last podcast, you asked me kind of where Michael lands in my pantheon of, of slashers. Yes. And, and, I, and I think I said, based on the first two films, he was like my number one now, right? You know, when, when we're talking about Freddy versus Jason versus, you know, Pinhead versus Michael, you know, those. So with that being said, I'm really bummed, right? That, that Michael really wasn't in this film. As I've said, I'm, I'm, ex I'm excited is the wrong word. I'm glad that there was an end to this. Yes. I'm glad that somebody died. If it had to be Michael, that's fine. I'm okay with it. I really enjoyed the, the Corey character, though, even even though he took away from Michael, I was just bummed that we didn't get Michael's motivation. Yes. That's what I wanted. Yeah, I, I I didn't I didn't necessarily need the like everything spelled out, but I really needed Michael's motivation. Yeah. I needed to understand. I, I didn't need. Here's what I didn't need. I didn't need to understand like why he was evil. I, like I get that. Like we can write now. That yeah, that's fine. I need. I needed to understand his connection to Haddonfield, his connection to Lori. His like I needed that, and I didn't get it, and that's a bummer. Yeah, and what I felt like I needed that I didn't get was Lori needing to know what. Yeah, Michael's connection to her was yeah. like at some point Lori has to be like, why is he doing this? Why is he coming after me? And she didn't seem concerned or obsessed with that on any level and yeah. you know if this is anybody else in the entire real world like you or me or 
you know, some girl out there in the world, like, of course, that's going to be what they're thinking. It's like, why is this person coming after me? What did I do? Is, is it just because I survived? Is it because I'm the one that, that made it through? That's probably it. I think that's what we're supposed to derive from all this, but I, you know, I would just like it a little bit more concrete yeah. than I think what we got. Yeah. It, yeah. It was, it was, it was beyond a bummer that we didn't get that. Yeah. Okay. So next question True or false, Michael Myers is a human being with no supernatural powers. It's, well, it's a good question. It shouldn't be as difficult to answer as it, it shouldn't be as difficult. So let me let me read you something and and then I'll come back to my answer. So th- this was a this was a thread that I found on Twitter. It was uh, user drumdums, just to give to, to give full credit. And he says, the entire David Gordon Green trilogy is not about Michael Myers. It's about Haddonfield. When you step back and you watch all three movies back to back, you will see this. Because of this, Halloween Ends is a fitting chapter in the story, showing that you may think evil is gone, but it's never gone. It just changes shape. Myers was indeed an integral part of this chapter to show that the existing evil was all but dead, but the evil was still fruitful and alive through another. I think that's really insightful. They're playing with that. I like that a lot. I like that thread yeah. a lot. I, I don't have a great an- I don't have a great answer for your question though. I really I really don't. Fair um, enough. It's tough. I think he is. I think I think he is mortal. I'm not saying that there's not an evil within him that maybe possesses him or something. I, see, I, I yeah, don't. that's what that's what I was gonna say. I, I think he probably is is mortal. And then there are times when that evil, quote unquote, possesses him and gives him the ability to do things that a mortal can't do it is is the Maybe. best way I can. Maybe, you know, yeah, because, again, at the at the end of at the end of kills, he just does things that a mortal right. can't do. Some guy in his mid 60s just got shot multiple times. Right. He got a baseball and a bat ne- to the head. He got a fucking iron. <laughs> and then well, and a neck and, and a knife in his neck, if I remember yeah, correctly. Right, right. Judy Greer, uh, her character, yeah, like totally stabbed him mortally. Anybody right. would die from that. And, and so, I mean, clearly here, I think he's he's the most mortal here he's ever been, right? He's old, he's decrepit, you know, he he gets a kind of a boost of evil when he kills the cop, but you know, he, he comes back, he gets pinned to the kitchen table and a, and a refrigerator dumped on him and he gets his throat slit and his wrist slit and he's done. Yeah. And so I, I guess if you're asking me, do I think this version of Michael Myers is going to come back after being put through the meat grinder? The answer is no. I think that, I think that body, I think that Michael is mortal is dead is gone. Okay. Well, that leads into my next question. Yeah. We know Michael isn't dead because evil never dies. It only changes shape. And that shape usually turns into dollars for the Akkad family. But how and when do we see Michael again? How do you see this coming back to pop culture? Do you think it's a fresh reboot? Do you think maybe a TV show comes into play? We do this on a digital streaming thing like... 
how do we reinvent this wheel to make it interesting to future so, generations? Yeah. So it's, it's funny you ask that because I was thinking about this. I think the short answer is it depends. And what I mean by that is it depends on where horror goes over the next several months, years, whatever. I don't think there's a whole lot of legs for horror when it comes to like streaming, like shows and those kind of things. Yeah. I think horror is going to continue to live in films. I think that, I think that's where it's got its wheelhouse. I think that the huge success that films like terrifier two and barbarian and like these kind of films that are out now yeah. that are, that, that they're getting like, I, I, and Hellraiser, well, Hellraiser was, a, was a streaming, but that's a, but again, it's a film. It's not a show. I, I think, I think I'm hope. I think we're seeing a resurgence of horror. Yeah. I, I think it feels like it's here. Right. I mean, if you look at the box office numbers for terrifier, like, they're through the roof, right? And it's only in on less than a thousand theaters, a couple hundred theaters opening night, and it made a shit ton of money. And so, you know, I, I think you're right. I think, I think Michael probably takes a few years off. I would like to see it rebooted. I don't want to see the Laurie Strode character anymore. And it's not that I don't like Jamie Lou Curtis. I think it's just, it's played out. I don't necessarily need another origin story. I don't want them to do the Batman treatment of Michael Myers, where we get a new origin every three yeah. years. We don't need that either. I, I would love to see Rob Zombie take another crack at it, but I, I think he's done no. as well. I, you know, He won't do it. I, I don't think he will either. But I would like to see a truly non-magical version of Michael Myers. That's what I would like to see. I would like to see one that is based in reality, which is why I loved that whatever the, the Michael Bay Friday the 13th Jason film. I love that one because it was, it was based in reality. Okay. Yeah. That's what I would like to see. I would like to see because, because here's the thing, right? There's enough horrors in this real world that we live in. We don't need to make, we don't need to make shit up. Right. That's what, that's what I would like to see. Okay. All right. Very good. And then my last question, Halloween ends, Jason goes to hell, Wes Craven's new nightmare. Wow. Which of these films from best to worst finished off our 80s horror icons the best? New nightmare is clearly the best. I would agree. I don't know if it's the best. It's definitely my favorite. Of, the, of, of those three. For sure. Of those three, I think. Yeah. Granted, some of these had movies after, but I mean, these were sort but, of. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I would argue that that um, New Nightmare doesn't get nearly the the praise that it should. I mean, that's that's the precursor to Scream, right? That's the that that's the, that's the one that kind of um, is is the first like smart horror movie, right? in my you know the, the yeah. resurgence well, it's very meta right like it, it steps right. outside yeah. the box it's easily the most yeah. creative out of all of those yeah. yeah so that so of those three films that's probably my favorite so between jason goes to hell and this one i, I would probably go with jason goes to hell only because i think that one 
had some really innovative and really gory and really brutal kills yeah. in that movie. And this one really didn't. I mean, this one was pretty tame. I mean, with the exception of the, you know, you got a couple head bashings and, and, and it was the, the DJ um, kill. That was the worst the one DJ, in the whole movie. Yeah. The DJ kill. Right. But yeah, I, I think on the strength of the kills, I think I would go with Jason Gostel, but that doesn't mean that, that I dislike this film. I, 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 don't, right. I don't dislike it. I was setting you up just to, uh, yeah, no, no, just to make fair. you choose. Yeah. You know, th- th- this film d- did some really good things that we talked about. It wasn't what I wanted for the third film here. It didn't give me the answers that I was wanting, but it wasn't nearly as bad as, you know, the Matrix Revolutions. It wasn't it wasn't the worst third film in a trilogy that, that I could think of. You know, candidly, I probably would have liked this film a lot better if it was the second film in this trilogy. If we if we introduce Corey and we introduce this idea of evil and we introduce this film of Haddonfield as a character in this, yeah. you know, um, but but I'm okay with it. Well, hey, we did it. We got uh, we got to the end of the Halloween David Gordon Grill trilogy. We did. What do you think? Uh, yeah. I, I loved it. I, I very much enjoyed it. And I I feel like we owe a, a special thanks to our good friends at Scare Tissue who are, if I'm not mistaken, celebrating a 10th birthday this year. Is that right? Is it, is it 10? I believe. Could Let's take a look here. I believe quick. it's I will... 10. Well, when we did Halloween Kills, it was, I think it was nine years. Well, I can tell you that I just, I just renewed the domain name just the other day. <laughs> okay. Like, like literally like two days ago. You're right. 20. So the, the very first, the very first post that I put on scaretissue.com was Pip and I are gearing up for a new website where we'll be reviewing horror movies. Check back soon. And that was on October 25th, 2012. Oh my so gosh. Yes, that was that was 10 years ago, Tuesday. And, and two yes. days ago. Wow. Yes. That yeah. is a monumental thing. I mean, yeah. I still remember laying in bed and thinking and, and seeing that Kevin Smith vignette on AMC and thinking, man, Scare Tissue, that's a great name. We should... Yeah. We should start a website and, and just review horror movies. And, you know, all credit to you. You've done 99% of the work there. But, man, it's just a cool story. And, and so, I don't know, it's like, it makes me feel good that I feel like we've given a little bit of a voice to a lot of independent filmmakers out there who are just trying yeah. to get stuff out there. And I, I couldn't be more proud of that. So happy birthday, Scare Tissue. Yeah. Ten years, ten years ago on Tuesday. That's pretty. That's pretty cool for yeah, sure. That's great. All right. Well, th- I, I have no idea where we're going next, but I don't either. Uh, yeah. Right. I mean, it's. Let's see. What, what? Let's let's look back and see real quick. Uh, what have we? Let's see. We, we so we done. We've done Star Wars. Let's see. We we did. Uh, we did. Last we one did was the a video game. We, well, we did the face to face podcast. Oh when yeah. We were here in Cleveland. Yeah. 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 We we did uh, we did video games. We did, and then we did three episodes on Star Wars. We did WrestleMania matches. Yeah, we might have to revisit WrestleMania here pretty soon, right? I mean, that's that's well, we got Rumble coming up here in what two months? Yeah, in January. I don't know. Maybe we can maybe we can put some more horror together. Maybe we can do a top ten list. Yeah, I've done a music one in a while too. It's it's been a while since. Yeah, we can we can probably re- revisit music for sure. So, all right. All right. Well, that being said, this has been an awesome conversation about Halloween Kills. I've been joined once again by my brother from another mother, Mr. Pip. I'm Chewy. 
This has been the 411 from 406. I hope you enjoyed our Halloween kills retrospective. Cheers, brother. Have a good evening. Have a good evening. Adios.